0: You know, it's been amazing uh, to watch the journey uh, that this family has been on, especially Joel. Joel came to work uh, here at Calvary eight years ago. And so it's really great to see, uh, after eight years, uh, having become good friends with Joel and Carla, to see what God's doing, to watch them go out today and so to see Joel having started as sort of an assistant, to now being sort of a servant of the Lord in his own right, getting his own call to go and do this ministry... It's so encouraging. And I've been thinking about this, that transition. How did Joel get from where he was eight years ago uh, to where he is today? And this is an appropriate question to ask because this is the question Joel's been asking as he thinks about the ministry he's been doing with our children over the past four or five years. Because if you think about it, we love the fact that many, many children come to faith at a young age. But the question for us who are older in the faith is, how do you help children make that faith their own? How do you help them reach the point where they take the next step in the journey, where they move from simply being someone who kind of has the faith mediated to them through their parents or through the church, to the place where they themselves are servants of God? And it's a great question to ask because it's also the question, if you're a newer Christian... If as an adult you came to faith and perhaps you've looked at the person who helped lead you to faith or those who've been in the faith longer than you, you can ask the question, how do I get where they are? How do I take that next step forward? How do I become a person who's now leading others to faith just in the same way I was led to faith? It's a great question because it's the same question that all of us should be asking no matter how long you've been a Christian or how long you've been around uh, God. How do I move forward? How do I not just stay in a holding pattern? How do I take that next step? How do I move from wherever I am now to being a servant of the Lord, to being able to do whatever it is that God calls me to do? It's actually the same question that we're asking of ourselves as a church. I'm so glad for where Calvary is. I'm so pleased with what God is doing here. This excites me to no end that God has chosen us and entrusted us with Joel and Carla and with others to be able to encourage them and train them up and send them out. But the question we have to ask is, how do we take the next step forward as a church? How do we grow in our faith as a church? How do we come more and more as a church? The servants of the Lord. Well, this morning we get a chance to really think about that question. And we do so by beginning a new sermon series in the book of Joshua. So if you would, take a Bible and turn to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, if you're using one of the church Bibles. Joshua chapter 1 is page 169. 169, Joshua chapter 1. While you're turning, let me explain a little bit about the sermon series that we're doing. We're beginning uh, this week in Joshua, and Lord willing, this sermon series is going to take us all the way to next Easter. Now, this is a little unusual for us. Normally, we start a new book of the Bible often in September, and we're able to follow the school year as we're going through uh, and preaching through the the, the text. This is a little different, however, uh, partly because... When we sat down two years ago as elders to pray about, okay, Lord, what do you want us to talk about? What book of the Bible have you chosen for us? It was very interesting. I think of the 13 or 14 elders that were there at the time, maybe nine or 10 really felt it was supposed to be the book of Hebrews we were supposed to look at. And probably three or four felt very strongly it was the book of Joshua. Well, when we came together to kind of discern what God was up to, it became clear to all of us that these went hand in hand, that what God had for us as a church was first Hebrews and then Joshua. So Hebrews finished last week and so it felt like it was the right time to dive into the book of Joshua. Now I told you a couple of weeks ago when I first got away in my study break to kind of look at the book of Joshua, the first 10 chapters I'm like, woohoo, we got lots to talk about. And then the second half of the book I'm like, whoa, this is going to be a short series, Because there's just lots of names and places and assignments and all those things. But the great thing was, is that as I kept praying through the book and God kept taking me back through it, He kept showing me more and more that He wanted to do with it. So this is not just a series we're going to do this summer. This will last uh, through a good portion of the school year till next Easter, Lord willing. Which means, if you miss some weeks this summer, which you are, I give you permission to do. If you miss weeks this summer try to stay up, uh, listen on the internet, uh, try to keep up with what's going on because it is part of a series that God's doing here at the church. And God's not taking the summer off and He's going to be with you wherever you are uh, as you're on your weeks off and hopefully getting some rest and vacation at different times. But we as a church are going to keep going through uh, the book of Joshua and when you, uh, uh, when we come back all together into our sort of fall service times back in September, uh, we'll be in Joshua 6 and keep going. Uh, And that's because Hebrews and Joshua go together hand in hand. And so this morning we begin with Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, and we're really thinking about the question, how do I take the next step forward in my faith? Joshua 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. Now stop there for a moment. We're going to see what God actually says to Joshua in just a second. But this first verse allows us to put the book of Joshua into its historical context, into where it fits in the narrative of what God's up to. God's people, the children of Israel, were in bondage and captivity in Egypt. They cried out for God to come and rescue them. God heard their cries and raised up a man named Moses. Moses described here in this verse as being the servant of the Lord was sent by God to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let his people go God gave Moses the ability to do miraculous signs and wonders he did 10 plagues that were simply jaw-dropping the last of which God used uh, the angel of death uh, and the Passover ceremony to force Pharaoh's hand to let his people go and Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, and was taking them as their leader on towards the promised land. Moses along the way needed some help in leadership, and God raised up for him a man named Joshua to be his assistant. That's who we're talking about this morning. Joshua, the assistant, or as the verse calls him, Moses' aide. Well, Moses, responsible for leading the children of Israel, leads them to the edge of the land that God had promised to give them and sends 12 spies into the land. One of those spies is Joshua, Moses' assistant. Joshua goes into the land, sees this beautiful land filled with milk and honey, with uh, wonderful produce, comes back and says to the nation of Israel, we got a good God. Now it's going to be tough. But if we obey, God is going to do amazing things. He's going to give us a fantastic land. However, the majority of the other spies who came back, the majority of the rest of the 12 said, no way, no way we're going to take this. We will be absolutely slaughtered. And against the pleas of Joshua and Caleb and Moses who are begging them, please don't do this. Trust the Lord. He will do amazing things. The children of Israel refused to go into the promised land. God is angry with them and decides they need to learn to trust him. And so he sends them into the wilderness to wander for 40 years. At the end of those 40 years, Moses leads them back to the edge of that same promised land. And there Moses dies. And that's where the book of Joshua picks up. Now notice as we introduce the book of Joshua and even the person of Joshua, I want you to notice the contrast between how Moses is introduced and how Joshua is introduced. Notice it says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Now the servant of the Lord is really the highest title that anybody can be given in God's kingdom. This is the title that will ultimately be applied to Jesus. And it's given to Moses because of course Moses of anybody in the Old Testament deserves this title. Moses is the one that God raises up to lead the children of Israel. He's the one that's there at sort of the founding of the nation. He's like George Washington or William the Conqueror or Augustus Caesar or Alexander the Great. He's sort of there for the founding of the nation. He's the one that God does miraculous stuff. Things that had never been seen on the face of the earth before. God does through Moses. Moses is the one who gets to go into God's presence, who gets to see a a part of God's glory, who's able to be able to mediate the law from God to his people. He's the one who brings the law down the mountain and gives it to the people. Moses is the one who, when his brother and sister speak out against him, because, hey, brothers and sisters sometimes do that, when they speak out against him, God himself shows up and says... Don't talk about Moses that way. Moses is unique among all the people as a specific leader that I have called to this task. So of course, it's not surprising that this great title, the servant of the Lord, should be applied to Moses. No surprise there. But notice how Joshua is introduced. The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, now that's his father, so son of Nun, Moses' aid. Moses, servant of the Lord. Joshua, assistant. He's Moses' assistant. Moses is the one who gets the assignments from the Lord. He gets to be in God's presence, he gets to deliver the law. Joshua is there to help Moses. Now, I think I know a little bit about what Joshua must have been feeling like. When I first came to Calvary Church to work, uh, A man named Ed Dobson was the senior pastor of the church. My first job at this church was to be his assistant, meaning whatever God gave him to do, he gave some of those tasks to me. Well, at some point, uh, God had him step down from this position and asked me to do it. And I heard over and over again, wow, those are big shoes to fill. How are you going to do it? And my response regularly was, I don't have any idea. <laughs> I mean, really, I had no I was a very inexperienced assistant. That was my job. I was an assistant. He was a pastor, a senior pastor, had been a pastor for a long time, had served the Lord faithfully and done amazing things. I'm simply just an assistant. Maybe you felt something like that. Maybe the spiritual patriarch in your family, maybe your dad. Uh, or our mom who's been a spiritual leader has recently passed away and you as the oldest sibling. Everybody's looking to you to now step into that role and you're thinking, yeah, but dad, he was such a man of God. How could I ever lead our family in this way? Or maybe the small group leader in the small group you're in or the Bible study leader has stepped down and you've been asked to take that over. And you think, I don't even know what I'm doing. Or maybe at your workplace. You've been put into a position where somebody who was wildly successful, really popular in the company, has just retired or been promoted to do something else, and now you've been asked to take that position. And you're thinking, how in the world am I going to do this? How in the world am I going to follow after this person? Or maybe... You're a high school, just finished your high school uh, junior year, and you're looking at those who were seniors who are graduating, who were spiritual leaders either at school or at church, and they're now graduating and leaving the youth group, or they're leaving the school. And underclassmen are now looking at you to be a leader in the youth group, and you're thinking, how in the world am I going to do that? That's where Joshua's at. Moses, the servant of the Lord. Joshua, he's an assistant. Now, nothing wrong with being an assistant, but just notice the contrast between Moses and Joshua. But with that contrast, I want to give you a sneak peek at the end of the book of Joshua. So turn over to Joshua 24. Joshua 24, all the way at the end of the book, it's the very last chapter in the book. Joshua 24. And look with me at verse 29. After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. Now I know I've taken all the tension out of the book. Joshua does die at the end. Okay? <laughs> but notice how he's described he is the servant of the Lord. At the beginning of the book, he's an assistant, which is great. That's a great place for him to be. By the end of the book, he's made this transition that we've been talking about, the transition we're talking about with Joel as he started as an assistant and now has become in some ways his own servant of the Lord. It's the same transition we want for children who have come to faith where they own the faith and don't just assist us as we try to serve God, but themselves are serving the Lord. It's the same transition we want for people who are new to the faith as adults who are not just assisting what's going on, but then become themselves servants of the Lord. It's the same transition all of us are on, no matter where we are on our journey of faith. How do we progress more and more so that at the end, when we die, we are described not simply as being an assistant in God's kingdom, but as being a servant of the Lord. It's the same thing we want as a church. For our church, Calvary Church, to be described as a church that is servant of the Lord. How did that happen? How did Joshua move from simply being Moses' assistant to being himself a servant of the Lord? Well, that's what the sermon series is about. That's what the book of Joshua is about. But let me give you in summary form the answer to that question this morning. So if you will turn in your Bibles now to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. John chapter 2 is page 861. Last year when we looked at the book of Hebrews, it was a confusing book. It's a a larger book and God was very gracious to me to give me Psalm 84 to kind of help me understand the whole message of of, uh, Hebrews in kind of one place or one sermon. This year, it was John 2 that God used to take the book of Joshua and really help boil it down into sort of one picture, one idea that I could grasp. And I want to share that with you this morning as a way of preparing us for what we're going to see throughout the year in the book of Joshua. John chapter 2, look with me as I read beginning in verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. But after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved, after, sorry, after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now this miracle story is a very famous miracle, Jesus turning water into wine. But it's always been a miracle story that's confused me a little bit. And the reason it's confusing is, is okay, they're at a wedding. They run out of wine in the middle of the wedding celebration. So this is like a seven-day celebration. Somewhere in the middle of the wedding celebration, they run out of wine. That's a faux pas. You don't want to do that. So Mary, who seems somehow connected to the bride or groom because she's there serving at the wedding, realizes this is going to be a very embarrassing thing for the family. Since she's part of it, she says, well, look, I know somebody who's got some abilities to do some stuff so she goes over to her son and says hey can we get a miracle here could you do something to do about the wine and the reason why this is a confusing thing to me is that jesus says to her essentially my time hasn't come yet which is a no isn't it it seems like a no and then he turns around and does the miracle and i'm always asking the question look if you're gonna do the miracle why not just say okay mom i got this or If you're not going to do the miracle, then why do you turn around and do it? It's not like Mary starts to plead with him or anything. He just says, my time hasn't come. She turns to the servants, do whatever he asks, and then he does the miracle. (laughs) Now, as I'm reading this in the context of thinking about Joshua, and I felt like on my study break when God took me to John 2, and I'm kind of reading and praying through it, all of a sudden, the light went on. And I realized, I felt like God sort of opened up to me, hey, look, the Gospel of John is filled with miracles that are public miracles and what we mean by a public miracle is a miracle where everybody gets to see it regardless of whether you believe in Jesus or don't for example when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead everybody knows that Lazarus was once dead and he's now alive everybody knows that a miracle has taken place whether you were a Pharisee or a Sadducee or a disciple of Jesus it's a public miracle same thing for the man who was born blind He's now been healed. Everybody gets to see it. When Jesus says, my time has not yet come, what he's saying is, it's not yet time for me to do those kind of public miracles. The miracle where everybody gets to see it. It's not time yet for me to start my public ministry, raising people from the dead, healing the blind, feeding the 5,000, which are miracles that everybody's going to get a chance to see. You see, what God sort of pointed out to me as I was going through this passage is the miracle of turning water to wine is different than raising Lazarus from the dead. And that's because this miracle is sort of a secret. Did you notice that? The master of the wedding doesn't know that a miracle's taken place. The text is very clear about that. The bridegroom doesn't know that a miracle has taken place. The bride doesn't know that a miracle has taken place. And none of the guests know. I mean, I've got to imagine the groom sitting there as the master pulls him aside and says, good job on this wine stuff. Good job saving the best wine to last. I'm sure the groom is like, I don't know what this guy is talking about. Nobody knows that a miracle has taken place except who? Jesus Jesus knows. The servants... Mary and the disciples this is a secret miracle and the point is the sort of aha moment for me was there is a time and a place where God does public miracles he does things that everybody gets to see sometimes at Calvary Church we get to have someone come up here and say I had cancer and the Lord healed me. That's a public kind of miracle. They're testifying and anybody in the church gets to see that. Man, that's awesome that God did that. And whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you get some evidence. God was at work in this couple or this person's life. But the aha moment for me in John 2, God's always doing miracles. He's always doing. He's not always doing public ones. The public ones are sometimes few and far between. And they come at specific times for specific reasons according to God's specific plan. But God, He's a miracle working God. That's what He does. God can't touch anything without a miracle happening. God turns water into wine. He does stuff that astounds us and amazes us. He can't not do that. That's who He is. And the aha moment for me in John 2 was the key to the whole passage, the whole passage is what Mary says to the servants do whatever he tells you to do. You see, when Mary says that to them, that orients them towards obedience. Remember, they're servants, he's the Lord. So when you serve the Lord, you become a servant of the Lord. And Jesus gives them an assignment. He doesn't turn to them and say, honor your father and mother. He doesn't turn to them and say, don't lie, don't... He gives them a very specific assignment. Go take those jars, fill them with water, draw some out, take it to the master of the banquet. It's a very clear assignment. But when they choose to obey they get to see the miracle and that you and I get to see God do miracles all of the time whenever we choose to obey that God has specific assignments that he gives to us and the reason he gives us assignments is they're an opportunity they open us up for the possibility of obeying because when we obey we get to see a miracle working God at work in our lives and when we see God do this Who are the ones who are drawn to Jesus in the story? I mean, the master of the banquet doesn't even know that Jesus is there. The groom and the bride may not even know that Jesus is there. The guests may not pay any attention to Jesus. But the servants and the disciples, they now think, we got to stick with that guy. That guy does some stuff. And the point is, is, when you and I see God do miraculous things, we are drawn closer to Him. When we see Him at work, it grows our faith and our love for Him. Well, that's what's going on in the book of Joshua. Turn back now to Joshua chapter 1. Back to Joshua 1. We read the first verse. Now look with me at the second. This is what the Lord said to Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then. You and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. The way the book of Joshua begins is with an assignment from God. It's a rather unique beginning to a book of the Bible. The very first words out of the gate are, Joshua, I got a job for you. And that's what orients Joshua towards a position of obedience And what we're going to see in the rest of the book of Joshua is as Joshua and the nation of Israel obey, they get to see God do miraculous things. Now, some of the other Canaanites might not get to see that. Other people living in the land might not see those things. But Israel will because they are obeying the assignment God gave them. How does Joshua end up as a servant of the Lord? God gives him assignments. He obeys those assignments. God shows himself in new and powerful ways. And Joshua grows step by step to become a servant of the Lord. What you have in the book of Joshua are simply a set of assignments that God gives to Joshua and his people so that they may move from where they are simply Moses' assistant those for whom the faith has been mediated to them by a previous generation, they move to becoming servants of the Lord themselves. How do you get a small child who's come to faith to actually own it for themselves? Well, when we were in the book of Exodus, we said there are three ways that anybody comes to know God at a deeper level represented by the major characters in the book of Exodus the first one is you can go through a crisis that's where the children of Israel were they were in a crisis they were in slavery in Egypt so too a young child can go through some form of crisis could be their parents marriage falling apart it could be a health crisis it could be something very difficult that happens in school and in the midst of that crisis God shows up in a powerful way and their faith becomes their own that is a way that can happen A second way in the book of Exodus that you can come to know God, you can pick a fight with him. Now, I don't recommend this one, but that's the road Pharaoh goes down. Pharaoh figures out that God is pretty strong because he picks a fight with him and he loses. Unfortunately, it is true that a number of people who come to faith at a young age grow up and pick a fight with God. But the great thing is, is they often find that God is real by doing that. And that through that, through that rebellion, through that rejection, God shows himself to them in grace and power and brings them to themselves so that their faith becomes their own. And they take a step forward to actually being servants of the Lord, not just assisting their parents and whatever their parents are up to. But there is a third way in the book of Exodus. And it's how Moses comes to know the Lord. And it's by serving him. That's what the book of Joshua is about. You see, for a child who's been given an assignment by God to share the gospel at school with one of their friends who's petrified and scared to death to do it, but when they do it, God shows up and does something amazing, their heart will be drawn to God, and it will be their God and not just your parents' God. Or for the child that grows up and says, I feel like God's asking me in the youth group to go on a mission trip, and you go on a mission trip in obedience to the assignment God gave you and see God show. That's why mission trips can be so powerful. It's not just because you go to another country. You can go to another country on a cruise. What makes a mission trip so powerful is you're there in obedience to an assignment God gave you. And when you go on an assignment for God, God shows up and shows himself in a way that maybe nobody else gets to see because it's a private miracle and not a public miracle. And that child grows in their faith because all of a sudden this God that they had simply heard about becomes their God. They see him do amazing things. But that's how it works for all of us. No matter where you are on your Christian faith, when God gives you an assignment, listen, the purpose of the assignment is not to get tasks done. God just speaks words and stuff happens. The purpose of the assignment is to open us up to the opportunity to obey. Because when we obey, we see God do something miraculous. Look, Jesus doesn't need servants to go get water and fill those jars with. He can make water, he can make the jars, he can do anything he wants. He can have, water f- or he can have wine flow from heaven for this wedding. He lets the servants do it so they will see the miracle. He gives us assignments in life so that he can show up miraculously and draw our hearts to him. You see, God is the most beautiful being in all of existence. And the way you fall in love with God is you watch him at work. And the only way you get to watch him at work, though, well, you can go through a crisis, which we do, God does send us through those. You can pick a fight with him, which I'm, please don't choose that option. Or you can choose to obey him. Earlier this morning, Tom asked all of us to kind of think through, what assignment has God given you? It's probably not like Joel and Carlos to move to Arizona and to plant a church. But maybe God's asked you to share the gospel with your neighbor, and you're petrified, you don't, but you know you just feel that prompting in your heart. Maybe something's going on in your workplace and the job that you've had for the last five or six or seven years, something seems to be changing and God seems to be asking you to stretch yourself and try something else and venture into a new area. Maybe the assignment is there's a broken relationship and God wants to get that relationship fixed and you think to yourself, if I go back and start talking to that person, I'm just going to get my feelings hurt again. I can't go do this. Maybe the assignment is, is that God has asked you uh, right now to parent uh, a child that's going through a very difficult season in life. Maybe the assignment is, is that God's asked you to get involved in something, a ministry that you've never done that scares you to death. Maybe the assignment is, is that God's asking you to approach your marriage differently than you've been doing it in the past, that he's asking you to be a different kind of husband or a different kind of wife. Whatever the assignment is, the purpose for the assignment is to give you the chance to obey. Look, the assignments I'm talking about are not things like do not steal, do not lie, do not commit adultery. That's important and that's part of it. It's assignments like Joshua which is given, which is, look, go through that river and take over that land. And when he gives us assignments like that, assignments that he gives to us as a church to plant other churches to do grace beyond to be uh, involved in evangelism to be taking care of the poor when we are given assignments these are opportunities for God to perform private miracles and I promise you whatever assignment you thought of while Tom was asking us to think whatever assignment you're thinking of right now if you obey God and do that assignment you will see him do something that no one else may get to see Jesus sometimes does public miracles that everybody gets to see. But he's always doing private miracles for whoever's willing to obey. And if you felt while I'm talking God's stirring in your heart to say, you know what, I should apply for that other job. I just feel like God wants me out of this situation and into that situation. Or while I've been talking or while Tom was asking us to do this, you felt we we, we should sell that. We we that We don't need that luxury item. We should sell that. And I know a family who could use those things. If you obey... God's going to do something and you're going to sit back and go. Who is like him? He turns water into wine. He's doing stuff all the time. And the point of Joshua is, look, if you wait until you see really public miracles, if you wait until Jesus returns, it's too late. If on a day-to-day basis, you take whatever assignments God gives you and you obey them, Same thing will be said about you that was said about Joshua. A servant of the Lord. I mean, that's what a servant of the Lord is. Someone who serves the Lord. So what I'd like you to do right now is I'd like you to stand. In your mind, I want you to think about that assignment. And listen, if your mind is racing, go, I didn't, do the, I didn't do that earlier, think of one now. If you can't think of one, I'm going to pray that God gives you one. But whatever that assignment is, if it's a relationship, it's, if it's to trust him to go on a missions trip, if it's to trust him to, to get something going in your neighborhood, a Bible study, uh, if it's simply to go over and start mowing your neighbor's grass because that might be a way to show love to them, whatever the assignment that you feel like God has been prompting you recently or you feel like you're in the middle of doing, think about that assignment right now. Because you just watched us commission Joel and Carla to go do what God is asking them to do. There is a tendency to think, well, okay, yes, they're servants of the Lord because they're being sent to Arizona as missionaries. No, the point of Joshua is every single one of us are servants of the Lord if we take that next step forward. If you want to grow in your faith, simply think of the assignment that God's giving you right now and do it. And so while you're standing, what I want to do is I want to commission you. I want to pray that God gives you the courage. Remember our series called The Courage to Obey? Most of the assignments you're probably thinking of right now are probably scaring you. There's some aspect of it where you're saying, well, no, I hope this isn't the assignment he's talking about because I don't want to do that one. I'm going to pray a prayer of dedication and commissioning for you because I promise you, God is just as interested In you doing your assignment, as he is in Joel and Carla doing their assignment, and if you do your assignment and you obey, God is going to move your faith to the next level. If you're a brand new Christian, he's going to move you to that second place. And if you've been a Christian for a long, long time, he's going to take you to a deeper level. So close your eyes, please. Heavenly Father, God, we stand here as your servants. Lord God, I pray, uh, God, that through your spirit, that you would commission each one of these who are standing here for the work to which you have called them. Lord, I pray that your spirit would set them apart, that at their workplace, in their neighborhood, at their school, uh, Lord God, during the summer, wherever they may be, God, whatever that assignment is, Lord, I pray right now that through your spirit they would have the courage to obey. God, I pray that you would say to them the same words you said to Joshua, I will be with you. Do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous. Lord, I commit these, your people, into your keeping. God, I ask you that as they leave this place, Lord God, that you would remind them of the assignment that you've given to them. Lord, I pray that as they become scared or they think of other things that might distract them from doing that assignment, Lord, that you would encourage them to obey. Lord, and I pray that when they obey, you would do what you've promised to do which is to show yourself to them in a new way God for some people here this is going to be the first time they're going to consciously accept an assignment from you and go and try and do it Lord would you open up the heavens and would you pour out your glory and God when the people around them don't see it would you let them know that you've done this as a private miracle for them and God I pray that each one of us that as we choose to obey we would come to know you in a new way and that we would love you more deeply and so Lord here we stand God, send your Holy Spirit right now upon us in a powerful way. Empower us and encourage us that we might do the things you have asked us to do. For those who are here and aren't clear what that assignment is, God, would you make it clear to them even now as we're praying. For we ask this in Jesus' name and commit them to his work. Amen.